Welcome to another episode of Innovation and the Future of Pharmacovigilance, a podcast series brought to you by Trudiant Talks. I'm your host, Indy Alawalia, and I'm delighted to navigate the dynamic world of pharmacovigilance and risk management with you. But first, a quick disclaimer. The opinions expressed in this episode are solely of those of the individual guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of Trulian Consulting. We're all about fostering insightful conversations here at Trulian Talks, and we want you to know that any product vendor or service mentioned does not imply an endorsement. If you're seeking professional advice for specific situations, we encourage you to go to our experts. Please remember this podcast content is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Okay, so today we are incredibly fortunate to have the wonderful Catherine Kenny, the managing partner and co-founder of Signal Pharma Experts, as our guest speaker. Catherine, hello. Hey, Indy, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. How are you? <laughs> good, good. I'm glad, yeah, good. <laughs> I'm glad you're happy. Um, so for those who are uninitiated, uh, maybe you can give a, a summary of of your experience in PV. In actual fact, more importantly, how did you get into PV? Like everyone in PV, um, I fell into PV. So I, I don't think there's that many people who would have been uh, a, a young child dreaming of working in pharmacovigilance. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm not sure that that's a pathway that a lot of children are dreaming of. Um, no, I studied science, general sciences in, in university, uh, so it's quite broad. And then I went off traveling, came back, did a bit of this, that and the other. Um, and then thought, you know what, maybe it's about time I put my my science background to use. Um, at the time in Dublin, um, there was a bit, well, there still is a big presence from, from a lot of the, the main CROs. Uh, Quintiles, now IQVIA, had a big hub in Dublin and they were always recruiting science graduates um so that's how I, I got into PV I joined Quintiles um and I worked in in drug safety for a number of years within within the Dublin office um which was great it's a real you know introduction to um to the world of, of safety I worked on clinical trials a lot of the big pharma companies um across multiple programs global trials so it was really uh, fast paced really hectic um great team in, in the Dublin office and a lot of a lot of those people are still there um it's it's a it's a, a really uh good training ground for for a lot of pharmacovigilance professionals and and within Ireland especially there's not many people in pharmacovigilance within Ireland who haven't gone through um, quintiles at some point. So it's quite a small pool of people that we all know each other. So I started off um, in IQVIA working in clinical trials and then I moved into um, pharma. So I went and worked in a um, a generics company um, who had recently set up an Irish um, office. They were a UK-based company and they set up a, a Dublin office as well. Um, and I went and joined that company. Um, we had a huge, well, quite a big portfolio of generic products. Um, and we were the pharmacovigilance global team um, for that company. So we did everything. So essentially went in and started, you know, your case processing, signal detection, literature, uh, or impede, everything. So you're doing a bit of everything across the board right the way through to 
the safety variation side of things. So working on um, the the safety variation package that would be submitted. So working really tightly with the regulatory affairs team. And again, that was a really nice, um, broad um, learning experience. So moving into the post-marketing field from working in clinical, um, it gave me a really good understanding of, okay, how how are we doing things on the other side of the fence when we have products that are actually out on the market? Um, And with generics companies, you know, they are sensitive to cost. So usually, you know, you're quite stretched in terms of resources and you're always doing pretty much everything that you need to do within the PV operational side of things. So we had limited uh, support in terms of external vendors. Everything was kind of managed in-house. I then went and worked in another generics company, um, a big South African company called Aspen. Um, and again, they had a presence in Dublin um, and a huge PV department. So we had about 50 people in the PV department. So really big team of people. Uh, and again, doing everything. So we were the global um, PV office for the whole company globally. And we we, we worked across about 40, 45 products, um, all of them with global licenses. So, you know, a lot of work um, a lot of acquisitions in terms of products. So we were always adding to the portfolio. Um, So there was data migrations that had to be taken um, into account along with um, just managing that the day-to-day of of about 40 different products. So very busy. Um, I worked within the scientist team. So I I managed a team of scientists who were working on the the safety kind of writing um, side of things. So doing the signal management, PSU wars, aggregate reports, literature, et cetera. So again, really fast paced, really busy, great in terms of um, educating on all the aspects of PV. Um, And within Aspen, we had another team. uh, So again, we kind of did some of the work that maybe traditionally would sit within Reg Affairs, but we kind of took it into our team in terms of CCDS management, writing clinical overviews, um, rolling out those CCDSs and, and safety variations. So we did a lot of that work as well. So, you know, again, busy. Um, I've never worked in a company where we had the luxury of having, you know, different silos and, you know, somebody is just doing this one particular job. It's always been your PV, you do everything. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's always been quite a busy, a busy, um, a busy world within those global PV departments for, for those kinds of companies. Then I, I went off and I, I moved into consulting. So um, the end of 2017, um, myself and, and my a colleague, um, we, we joined forces and set up our own consulting company. And we uh, worked doing various different types of activities. I did some QPPV consulting. Um, and we worked on scientific writing, risk management plans, safety reports, signal detection, that kind of thing. Um, before I moved to Diamond Pharma Services um, as a director and head of the benefit risk team in 2020. Um, that was a consulting group. Um, we managed quite a lot of different companies and clients. I was QPPV for quite a number of, of clients Usually, most of them were quite small companies with, you know, limited resources internally, and that's why they they outsourced to to us. Um, and being a contract QPPV is quite challenging. So, it's depending on the company, everything 
you know, every company is different and how they view the QPBB is different. Some companies have a great knowledge and understanding of what that role is and other companies not so much. Um, trying to in, embed yourself into the organisation can be quite challenging. Um, so that was trying to navigate all the different companies and different um needs of each company as a, as a consultant and as a contract QPBV has its own set of challenges um, but working across different companies gives you that great insight into how different companies do things um, yeah. and it that's that's really invaluable I think some people when you're you know when you're working within a company for 10 to 20 years and you only know one way of doing things it's it's quite hard then to break through that mold and to think of better ways or different ways to do things. So I think having worked as a consultant um, and seeing all of the different companies and how they do things, it does give you that great insight into better ways or different ways to do things. Um, So I worked within Diamond for a number of years before they were acquired by Pro Pharma Group. Um, And then I went off and had a couple of babies. (laughs) And then I... (laughs) Since then, I've been working again um, as a consultant. So I set up Signal Pharma Experts and I've been um, growing that with my um, partner, Carly. We've been growing that business for the last couple of years now at this stage, which is great. Um, And again, working with different clients, seeing how people do things, being able to bring that, um, that insight and that those questions to to a client. So just challenging them about, okay, why are you doing things this way? And there are different ways to do that. So just bringing those questions to the table and and having those thought-provoking conversations with clients about, okay, is that the most efficient way to do things? Is there a better way? Is there a more innovative way? Is there a more efficient way to look at how you, you want to get where you're going? So I think as a consultant that's something that we always try to bring to the table is having those conversations that can be difficult to have with a client because as you know people that get used to doing things a particular way um and to try and change people into going down a a different route maybe that is ultimately get them to their goal quicker um but will require a change in in the thought process It, it can be challenging but I do think um, that's the uh, the advantage of of working with multiple different clients um, and seeing different ways of doing things for sure. Yeah, I I, I think I, I can concur with all the things that you're saying there, um, especially the siloed approach. I quite like uh, mm. the the fact that you're absolutely right. The the larger companies are very very siloed sometimes. Um, and in weird ways, some of the silos are not necessarily the same from one company to the next. Um, I do want to say, uh, so we actually met at World Drug Safety Congress Europe. And mm-hmm. um, let's not lie, there was there was one topic of conversation throughout the 11 streams that were there, which was AI. So do you think AI is the silver bullet for the smaller pharma companies or the smaller CROs? It's 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 a hard one because yes, for sure, the drug safety congress, it was the buzzword. Everyone was talking about AI, and I did come away from the, that conference thinking, really, don't think we we tailored the conversation for smaller companies 
for smaller CROs, for smaller service providers. If I, I, I felt that there definitely was scope for those conversations to be tailored to that audience in a lot more um, in a lot more efficient ways. Having worked in, in companies where you are the PV department and you do everything, and having worked in service providers where you're working with clients who have limited resources internally and also potentially have constraints around expenditure and budget constraints to consider. It's it's hard to have those conversations about AI um, because for them, it's just not tangible or realistic to think about bolting on all of these weird and wonderful uh, new technologies. It's just out of reach for a lot of companies. So it does make you think, okay, is, are there better ways to to target these types of companies and for the, these types of companies to get involved and to utilize the the power that AI and innovation and all of the innovation that we're seeing, but to do that in a more um, in a more respectful way to the, to the situation that we're talking about in terms of those companies and and the resources that they have, um, and I don't know what the answer to that is. Potentially, I think we've 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 had conversations, very theoretical conversations around small companies kind of joining forces together and, and and thinking about ways in which they can make efficiencies. So a lot of the big uh, service providers in terms of safety databases, there have amazing technologies to offer, but a lot of that AI technology is driven by volume. So you need the volume of cases and you need the volume of data coming through to make that a, a sound um, option for you. And small companies with one molecule maybe to to their portfolio just don't have that availability in terms of data. Um, so what about small companies forming some form of a co-op, like, you know, banding together, having, um, utilizing the power of, of, of numbers in terms of multiple different clients coming together, joining forces, banding together um, and approaching um, one of the big, uh, safety database vendors to 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 put something together for them. I don't know if that's. <laughs> I know there's going to be, um, there's going to be constraints around data protection and all the rest of it that would need to be considered for sure. Um, but at the moment, it's just the clients that I work with. In the majority, are, are small biotech with, you know, one two products to their to their portfolio. We don't even have the conversation about AI because it's just it's it's not it's not relevant it's not doable um uh, and it's not something that's attainable for them at the moment um so i do feel that these conversations around ai we're kind of focusing that at a group of maybe 5 to 10 companies who for them it's it's one it's necessary but two it's attainable and three it's it's going to make a difference in terms of of how they do their day to day but there's hundreds and thousands of companies outside of that sphere where we're doing the day-to-day grind and still companies are, are existing with Excel spreadsheets and, you know, uh, very manual processes. And for them, innovation isn't AI or, you know, a really high-tech um, 
solutions that can be bolted onto the safety database. Innovation is, okay, what can you do for me that will make my process more efficient? What can you do in terms of looking at my vendors that I'm utilizing? What can you do in terms of processes that we're using internally and and externally that can be improved upon? Um, And that's innovation. It's not necessarily this, you know, really high tech um, world that for most people, it's not going to be something that they're going to be dipping their toe into anytime soon. I, I think your your co-op idea is absolutely magnificent. And actually, your point about the fact that um, that these companies uh, can't even think about AI at the moment. They're, they're more worried about the, uh, the, the normal day-to-day issues. Mm. Um, and, and a question that comes up in my head is, how do uh, the smaller farmer react to regulatory inspections especially when it's the first maybe the first marketed product or Mm. they're just about to go into market how do they feel about these regulators who come in with their with their uh, view on that singular product that they have well for i mean most companies are are very fearful of an inspection it's dread you know and and one thing that we uh, as consultants talk to clients about is inspection readiness, inspection readiness, need to be inspection ready. So you're kind of drilling it into them from the very get-go that, okay, everything you do, you need to be thinking about, okay, if I was inspected tomorrow, how would I defend this decision? If I was inspected tomorrow, how would I explain X, Y, and Z? Um, but it's, it's, it's that, that's the nature of the, I guess, the world that we're living in. It's a very regulated industry. Um, when we move to moving from clinical into post-marketing, you know, there's going to be an inspection from, from, uh, uh, you know, pre-FDA submission, pre-EMA submission, you're going to have an inspection. So the companies are aware of that, but it's, it's trying to, I guess, not... We, we want people to be have a, some level of anxiety around an inspection because that's what makes people, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> keeps people on their toes. But at the same time, you don't want people to be so fearful that, um, you know, it, it, it becomes overwhelming for them. But trying to strike that balance of, OK, just thinking about it la- ra- rationally and logically and everything that you do. It needs to be documented and you need to be thinking about, okay, how can I explain this? So planning, project planning, documentation, it's the same thing. And it's just repeat, repeat, repeat. Um, and making sure that you're kind of drilling that home. And also the other, the other, I think one of the other main um areas that we need to, to kind of work on, and this goes across the board for any client, is trying to get those connections between the different uh, groups within or in an organization. So PV, yes, we're one group, but we work heavily with regulatory affairs and with quality and with other departments within the organization. And we all need to be on the same page. So everyone is trying to get to the same endpoint. We're all working toward the same objectives. But I think that can that can break down sometimes within companies. Um, and there can be some kind of 
underlying level of competition between <laughs> departments. Um, so it's always something that I try to do um, as a consultant when I go into a company is to try and foster that, I think, you know, team spirit among the, the different departments and make sure that we are all aligned with our goals and with, okay, the strategy to to achieve those goals. Because there can be so much time wasted with inefficiencies because one department's doing something and another department's doing something quite similar but not exactly the same thing. Um, so trying to have those conversations and, you know, holistic view of the company um, and the company goals can really help. And that can help when you come to inspection time as well because everyone's aware of what everyone else is doing. Um, and it makes it easier to navigate those situations. Has uh, the COVID-19 pandemic been able to give a case to some of the smaller companies from a PV department perspective to say that PV needs to be a little bit more forefront in some of these novel um, uh, novel uh, medicines that they're that they're discovering or coming out of clinical, as it were. Um, I'm not. I, I'm not sure, to be honest. I don't know that um, there's been a huge change in in, in that kind of mindset. Um, I no, I don't. I wouldn't say there's been a huge impact that I have seen anyway. Hmm. And going back to a, a, a another thing that I was uh, thinking about, thinking about your career, mm. uh, you'd obviously moved from clinical uh, on the clinical side mm. into the post-marketed side. If you were to explain to someone the difference between the two from a from a work perspective, not 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 the uh, regulation perspective, mm. but what is the difference what do you think is not harder per se but what do you think is more difficult in each of those sides yeah um and I think this is is, this is something that is often a, a, a struggle when we move into preparing a company to put their application um in is trying to get that switch between, okay, this is clinical and, and this is what we're going to be doing with post-marketing. Um, post-marketing PV, especially, I'll, I'm talking about, I'll just speak, focus on Europe for the minute. Um, there's a lot more regulations, legislations. Um, it's, it, it's, it's a lot. So we've all of the GVP modules, obviously, within Europe. And there's just a lot more activities. So we've, we've, we've a ton of activities that need to be done for post-marketing PV. Um, clinical there's less in terms of activities we really only have kind of case processing SUSARS uh, DSUR and then you've got you know some signal detection and stuff going on in the periphery but there's not a huge amount of activities Um, whereas with post-marketing we have a lot more so we've all of the different GVP modules and all of the different requirements we've the PSMF we've a QPPV we've got um, you know signal detection RMPs all of the other activities that need to be done and 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 manage and you're dealing with real world data and whatever that means um so yes you've people taking the product in in, a, in ways that with your clinical trials you have a very defined protocol you have a very defined way of the product being administered 
you have exclusion inclusion criteria when you move into post marketing you've got people taking it willy-nilly <laughs> now obviously you have an smpc and you have contraindications and you have all of the rest but it's a lot looser in terms of um the framework around it um so G- gcp and gcp regulations and all the ichs were very prescriptive it's very very prescriptive post marketing we have the gvp models around the processes that we need to do but how the drug is taken and how the drug is administered and how people uh, and who's taking it that's a lot looser um so the data that we start to see coming in really can be quite different from what we'd seen in clinical trials and it's trying to navigate that and we need to I guess it's it's a it's it's not as defined in terms of how we would we were doing things with GCP so we would have our interim analysis we'd have our DS and Bs um when we move to post-marketing it's 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 a little bit uh freer we have signal detection obviously and we have to write uh, our safety reports but the data that you you get coming through can can really throw up some surprises because we're using it in, in a way that we didn't see when we used it in, in clinical trials. Um, so, yeah, differences in terms of how the products use and also in terms of the activities, we have a lot more activities to do with, with post-marketing. Um, and also, uh, I was I, I was just thinking about uh, you being a QPPV for several companies mm. several being the word that I was focusing on there <laughs> and the, my, the, my pre, in my other life not now <laughs> but I remember when I started PV and I I, I don't know if I got a lecture but I, mm. I'm, I'm fairly sure it was a lecture where I was told the QPPV is the most important person <laughs> in the world because mm-hmm. if this if the safety isn't done correctly and you don't do your job correctly, they are going to jail. (laughs) And that was pretty much the first, one of the first conversations I think I'd had in in PV. Do you think it still has that sort of sense of, um, you know, what you do is related to this person's future? (laughs) I, I, the weight of responsibility um, of a QPPV, it's, it is, it is a weighty, role and there's a lot to it and I think it's really important that the QPV educates the MAH so the client if if you're within the organization it's a little bit easier but if you're an external consultant QPPV it is your role to educate that client about what it is you're doing how you're doing it what their uh, responsibilities are to you what your responsibilities are to them and ultimately, it's it's it it really is about that educational piece because a lot of people don't know what it is, um, especially if you're more more so if you're dealing with a US company that this is their first time putting in you know a product application they haven't dealt mainly in you know they haven't dealt in Europe before, so it it is very much an educational road that you go on, um, and it is a it is about okay this is what I want to see this is. These are the conversations I need to be in. These are the the decisions I need to be part of. And the commercial, the, the, the usually one of the most difficult areas to break into as a QPPV is the commercial side of things. So regulatory affairs, they get it. Quality, get it. And all of the other ancillary functions will get it. Commercial either don't get it or they don't want to get it. So they're the real... <laughs> 
they're the troublesome piece because often we have commercial people going off and you know looking for new products to acquire looking for assets thinking about all of those lovely commercial decisions that they're going to make to you know bring assets in-house and they don't they don't think about pv they certainly don't think about the qppb so it's having those conversations literally banging that drum from the first time you you are appointed qppb and trying to break through into that commercial conversation to say look if you are acquiring an asset you need to do due diligence part of that due diligence diligence involves me looking at that asset and and and, and assessing it in terms of a pv uh from a pv point of view to see if it's going to be a pain in the neck for not only for me but for everyone in this company and I've been burned in the past with not being involved in those conversations and the company therefore has been burned because they've acquired an asset that's been an absolute ball ache to be to put it frankly um costly in terms of extra safety uh and and costly in terms of um just the a huge amount of of additional RMMs and additional uh, minimization measures that we have to take because of this product. And, and you know, they learned their lesson at that point, but <laughs> trying to educate them before that kind of decision is made is really hard to do sometimes. Does safety ever get involved at the commercial conversation at the point? I mean, have you ever seen this happen where they are actually fully well involved with the commercial buying procedure or whatever mm-hmm. assets that they're going to, that they're mm-hmm. thinking of buying of. And how has it worked? So, yeah, we, we, we have been involved. And I think a lot of companies, when you explain to them that exact um, reason why we need to be involved in the conversation, they're quite open to it then. And they, we've, we've done due diligence reports for assets and having reviewed that due diligence report, commercial has has said no, we don't, we, we won't go any further with that um, prospect. So yeah, it, it I, I we've had clients in the past that have been really good um, and really proactive and really get us involved quite early on in that in that commercial um, piece where they're looking at assets to acquire. Um, but again, it is about just education, informing them, telling them, okay, this is what could happen if you don't. Um, but often, you know, those receptive commercial people out there, I'm not going to bash the commercial people because it's lovely people that work in commercial. Um, but those uh, those commercial people that like PV and, and, and understand what it is we're, that we're trying to do um, will really get on board with it and, and include us in those conversations uh, quite early on. And listen to what we're saying to them, which is the main thing. Listening. Yes. <laughs> listening. Yeah. Not just providing free pens is, is where, we, where we're going with this. Um, Although I, I will take free pens. <laughs> I, I will take free pens all day. I, I, I don't even know where my pens end up half the day. Um, so it's really interesting. You've had... A fascinating career and you currently um, <laughs> I mean I mean it's fascinating to me I I, I think to be QPPV of so many or, or some or several uh, small companies is something that I don't think I would ever uh, ever do not because of my uh, uh, 
my uh, educational limits, but more to do with the fear of being a QP. Mm-hmm. Um, these small farmers, these novel innovators, let's call them innovators. What have you seen in the past couple of years that has been the same issue at every single company? Yeah. Um, I think, to be honest, it is that transition from clinical into thinking about post-marketing and what that entails. Um, There's a lot of setup that needs to be done. So there's a lot of infrastructure that we need to put in place to achieve um, a compliance system in terms of post-marketing. There's a lot of work that needs to happen. Um, You need to have a really good understanding of the company and what they've done in the past, how they operate, who does what. Um, And you have to have that buy-in from all of those different departments to, to achieve what you want to achieve in terms of setting up. I find that within companies, it is that, um, trying to gauge who's doing what within each department and and having those departments come together is quite challenging. Um, I think when, when a company is in a clinical setting, it's, it's very much clear who's doing what you figure clean ops, you do clean ops, regulatory do what they do. When you move to post-marketing PV, there is interdependencies between each of those departments and there's other things that need to be considered. We need to think about vendor management. We need to think about auditing. We need to think about who's in our audit universe. We need to think about where we're going to get information for our PSMF. So who's going to be providing that KPIs compliance? And I'm not saying that we don't have any of those metrics, compliance, vendor management with clinical, but we have a lot more of it when we move into post-marketing. We need to have that interlink with commercial to figure out, okay, when we have an approval what, who are you setting up part, partnerships with for distribution, for manufacturing, for what about licensed partners? Who's going to hold MAH in each territory? So there's just a lot more to think of. And it's bringing, I think, those departments on that journey that can be quite challenging um, and getting that link up in terms mm-hmm. of, okay, this is what I need from you. This is what you need to be doing. I'm going to be setting up the PV stuff, but are you think? what about reg affairs? What are they doing for for you know their variation submission are they thinking about the ccds process all of that has to happen as well quality need to now consider additional vendors that are coming into the into the universe auditing how are we how are we auditing change controls who's managing the changes around all of these activities the qms has that been you know is that robust enough to cover all of this and i think that's that's been that's always been the challenge is trying to get those departments to come with you at the right time. It's not that there's reluctance. I just think everyone's so busy, especially when you're coming up to the end of a trial. People are focused on that and, and rightly so. Like, that, you know, they're focused on getting that data cleaned, looking at the, the readouts um, and doing all of the stuff that they've been doing all along. You trying to tell them, oh, I need SOPs on a PSMF in 12 months they're like yeah okay I don't care so it's it that's that's kind of the the hard part and um you get you do get buy-in but you only get it for so long I think people get fatigued when you're you're coming with your cap in hand looking for more of their time to achieve your goals 
Um, I think that's a natural human thing. I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's um, specific to to pharma. Uh, is that people have you know a certain bandwidth for for buying into things, and then that expires after a certain amount of time. So, what do you do after that? That's where you need to generate a little bit more oomph and a bit more motivation and a bit more um, interest in what you're doing. And I think people need to know what the ultimate goal is and to feel like they're part of that. I think people need to be able to buy into something. So if you're putting any kind of change, people are reluctant to change, but if they feel like they've been part of the process, they're more likely to go along with that change. So it's having those conversations, making sure everyone knows what you're doing, making sure everyone knows what your ultimate goals are and how that aligns with other departments' goals and the overall company goals will help don't it's, operate don't operate in a silo and think that people are going to come along on the journey because it, it just won't happen is there an ideal time to bring these people in uh into your journey as soon as possible i think the minute your face appears in an organization you, it's like you're a politician <laughs> like you're going on that campaign of uh knocking on doors and looking for a vote that's the way I kind of think about it is okay I'm the new politician in town I need to get these people to 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 vote for me <laughs> so I'm gonna knock on their door and I'm going to educate them as to what I'm doing and tell them how I'm going to try and achieve that and hopefully then when they see my name appear on emails and they see my name appear in in different conversations they they can connect the dots and realize okay I, I understand what we're trying to do here I'm not just annoying these people for the sake of it (laughs) (laughs) believe it or not I can be very annoying (laughs) never never different never never annoying Mm -hmm. um um risk minimization you were talking about that earlier Mm -hmm. and and actually there was another thought I had about um real world data um but uh I, I I I don't want to call it fashionable but there is a big move from the big players to have risk uh, uh, risk management departments, and mm. they're they're putting significant amounts of resources into this risk management whole departments. Um, from a again from a small farmer perspective, <laughs> imagine. Imagine, imagine having a department for risk management. Imagine having a QPBV office. Imagine all of those wondrous things. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a different world. I think (laughs) we don't have risk management departments in, in smaller companies. Um, Again, it, it defaults to the QPBV obviously has oversight over your risk management plan and your minimization activities, but it, it feeds downward into all of the other activities that you're you're working across. So I think it's crucial that your signal detection process is robust and is is really thinking about those risk management activities every time you do signal detection. So don't come to write a PSUR and then you're only then looking at the RMP and going, oh, what are our risks and what are our RMMs and what do we need to do here? It really needs to be something that's part of the 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 kind of uh the frequent PV operational tasks. But again, it's it's it, it, it needs to drip feed all the way down to case processors being aware 
having that mindfulness in terms of what are the risks, what are we looking at? Is this something that we need to be flagging? Um, but it's, yeah, it's it's not a luxury that most companies have in terms of having a, a focused department. It really comes to trying to carve out additional areas, additional time, additional piece, periods of focus within your um, day-to-day operational tasks to look at those risk minimization measures. Yeah. Um, and I was uh, I, I was thinking about uh, real-world data. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about, uh, again, thinking about the big boys, the big farmers. And I was thinking about how the move is to go into big data, to, to essentially look at all their data throughout their company and to start doing potential PV on all the data that they can find. Um, how yeah. would that work? <laughs> how would that work in in a smaller company? In a smaller I company, know. yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. Like, you, you'd have to have a human being trawling through all of these different mediums manually at the moment because there there just isn't any other. There isn't scope for any other technological um, tools to do that. So uh, it's a scary one because at the minute everyone's kind of skirting around the issue nobody's really tapping into that that source of data but the minute we start to do it when someone starts to do it then there's this domino effect of other people falling in line to do it and then what happens we need to have some kind of legislation around how we're doing that and the worry is that 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 it could becomes dragged into it becomes legislation and then we're all having to do this without actually knowing how to do it so Mm -hmm. we get down the road to another pilot for signal management that goes on for 10 years and nobody ever actually ends the pilot um yeah I don't know I don't know how that would be done I it's a terrifying thought to think about having to actually go and mine that information without any parameters around that so it's again it's a free-for-all everyone's going to do it however they think it's it you know it needs to be done there's no defined way to do it um and then the quality of data that you get out of it again it is going to be questionable how do you do mm-hmm. the follow-up you know what what is this data bringing to to the table um yeah it's it's a it's a bit of a minefield i, I think want, it's i don't want to touch it <laughs> <laughs> I, I the the reason I brought that up, I was thinking about IDMP and the original IDMP idea, mm. and uh, and the amount of different variables from the data that we could have possibly have have received uh, through the MPCs and all the other different layers that they had in IDMP. And I can only imagine being in a small farmer seeing that original guidance coming out. I think that was uh, I think it was. Back in 2012-ish, 2013-ish, I think. Maybe a long time. Maybe it was before then. Um, and just being terrified that this new legislation just came. And how do we deal with this? Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, it hasn't quite come out the way uh, uh, in time. And secondly, in the way that it was originally thought out. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I guess what I uh, what I'm trying to get at is these regulation changes, which tend to come from the fact that some someone has done something yeah. in a company, and the regulators have said, "Oh no, 
we need to make sure that this is there is a standardized way of doing this just yeah. like you were saying uh and then it's down to the smaller uh, the smaller companies who who like you said uh, there's so many of them then have to implement this change very fast and very quickly yeah and it's 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 again we're skewing i think in some ways we're skewing pv to suit the bigger players i think um and the conversations the the conversations that we're hearing the most about and the most chatter about are from those bigger organizations who have the resources who have the time who have the the, the man force to 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 think about this to think about oh let's let's go and look at real world data i think a lot of small companies most small companies aren't thinking about it and and it's, if they are thinking about it they're thinking oh my god how are we going to implement this in a in a in a in a semi-compliant manner and in a in a manner in which we can stand over it if we're if we're questioned in an inspection so at the moment I don't know the answer in terms of how that would look but I do think that for sure um the the conversations that we're having are definitely skewing to those companies who 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 are in a better position to deal with these types of advancements and have that um, the luxury of that ability to even have these conversations um, and to the detriment in some ways of those smaller companies who will have to row in behind these changes when they do happen and deal with it with minimum resources and often very manual manual ways of implementing these technological advancements. So the name of this uh, podcast is Innovation and the Future of Pharmacovigilance. Mm -hmm. So the question is, is what's next for PV in in the next five years, the next two years? Where do you see small pharma being? Um, obviously, there's this, there is a, well, I suppose it's always a tendency of, the bigger guys coming to swallow up some of the smaller ones with novel drugs that they particularly like uh, or have uh, commercial success. Mm -hmm. But what do you think is required for these smaller pharma companies uh, to be able to push forward and be innovative um, with regards to PV? I think we're talking about innovation and we, we, you know, the technological advancements. And in some ways, I think we've gone too far down the road. We need to drag it back and simplify things a little bit, because Mm -hmm. when you think of all of these technological advancements, the likes of RSG, Argus, all of the big safety database um, vendors, even with these additional tools, they're having to, create um custom uh customizations for each of these big clients because everyone has their own way of doing things and nobody wants to give up you know the the way that they doing things for the last 10 years so in a way i'd like to see everything de- let's scale it back a little bit let's make things a little bit more simplified there are leg- we have legislation that we need to work to we have gvp and we have um obviously 
other other jurisdictions exist but in terms of Europe we have GVPs and we know what the requirements are why have we gone down the road of making everything so complicated why have we so many work different workarounds work streams modifications to the way in which we're doing things and I think when you're a small company in a small um in this in the small innovator sphere in a way you have the luxury of being able to simplify things and that's what I, I would always advocate is let's not overcomplicate this. What are the requirements that we have in terms of legislation, in terms of what do we need to do to be compliant? Why are we going to complicate that by adding on this, that and the other, making all of these different modifications, um, customising all of these different reports, doing this, that and the other, when really all we need to do is X, Y and Z. I do think we, we've we've nearly over egg the pudding with adding on all of these bells and whistles and I get I get the point when you have huge volumes of data coming through you need to think of smarter and more innovative ways to look at that data but for the smaller companies for sure it is an opportunity to just streamline how we're doing things let's not in a way worry about too much about AI and about all of these weird and wonderful um uh, technological advancements right now because we don't need to worry about it right now our data doesn't require all of that what we need to do is x y and z we need to get the data we need to put the data in a safety database we need to look at that data and we need to make sure that we're we're keeping on top of that safety profile in a compliant manner and that's really it and i think having those conversations with with clients sometimes i think pv people are are guilty of overcomplicating everything you know, well, we you know, quoting GVP. Yes, we need to know what's in those GVP modules, but we need to ensure we're compliant at the at the end of the day. That's the most important thing. We're doing things in a compliant manner. Um, that doesn't mean it has to be a complicated manner. Um, so I think that's one luxury and and one of the upsides of, of working in small farmer is that you don't have to worry about all of this technological stuff that we need to worry about. We don't need to worry about um, all of these AI add-ons that we need to do to to speed up our process because we just don't have that volume and we don't need to, we don't need to do that. But there's other ways to be efficient without using, you know, AI. (laughs) Catherine, it's been an absolute pleasure having you here today. Thank you very much for joining. Thanks, Indy. See, lovely. (laughs) 